Welcome to She, They, Us, a podcast about making room in housing for women and gender diverse people. My name is Andrea Reimer, and I was elected to Vancouver City Council from 2008 to 2018. I teach about power and policy at the University of British Columbia. I'm a longtime community activist living in Vancouver, and I will be your host for this podcast, which is brought to you by the Pan-Canadian Voice for Women's Housing. Welcome to the fifth episode in our series. Today, we're going to be talking about the experience that trans women have when it comes to housing. I could give you a lot of statistics about how challenging, how dangerous, how difficult life is for trans women in Canada. But I feel like many people have heard those statistics and it still doesn't connect you to the reality of the world that trans women have to navigate and the discrimination that exists in that world. So we're going to hear about this primarily through the eyes of Susan Gapka. But before we get to her, I have a story from Erin Monroe, who joined us last week. Erin is a trans person living in Vancouver who works as a counselor currently. But I first met them when I was on city council and they were working to create safe housing for gender diverse youth. To me, this story really summed up why it is so difficult to have policymakers wrap their heads around the world that trans women have to navigate. Yeah, you know, I had this moment, I was working in this housing project a long time ago, maybe 16, 17 years ago, and um, there was a, a woman who was I was really fond of, and I could hear her screaming on the street. She, she'd done something to this housing project, so she had a temporary um, ask not to come in. Um, and I could hear her screaming my name on the street and I went running up. I couldn't find her, um, but I could still hear her yelling. And, and and so I started running through this park and it was completely dark and I could hear her, but I couldn't see her. And I remember having this really visceral feeling that, um, why is this happening? I'm half the size of this woman. But society now sees me as male and I have this class privilege and society sees her as this trans woman. And so it's okay to victimize her. It's okay for, you know, a violent John to be chasing her. And it makes tons of sense that I can save her, even though it doesn't, when you look at us, it really doesn't make any sense. So when we talk about safety, for particularly for trans women who don't who don't have a secure house to live in and, and the, the amount of... Um, of aggression and and violence and persecution they still face in our society. It it doesn't, you know, like, is it class? Is it gender? Is it race? Is it, it's it's all of these things. And if you have a number of those things stacked against you, not everybody, but, um, but for lots of people, I mean, they, they did research um, as part of the mental health commission study. Uh, they researched participants six months before they were in housing for the levels of violence that they, they experienced. And, and the results were, they were pretty, pretty stunning, but not stunning, you know, uh, men and women face the same amount, almost the exact same amount of violence on the streets. Um, the kind of violence, absolutely different. And that's really important to know. Trans people, you had to double it. So if, if, if we're looking at populations who need to be included and, and respected and housed safely, like this, these, these folks, it's vulnerable for them to be out there. Again, not everybody, but for some people. Let's meet Susan Gauka. Well, my name is Susan Gapka, and I live in Toronto, downtown Toronto, actually, right near the heart of the city. I use she, her pronouns, elle francaise, s'il vous plaît. I'm very blessed to be in, um, I'm in social housing, fought hard to get this housing. Uh, We can talk a bit more about that, but um, I'm, um, I'm an older Caucasian white person 
a lot of privilege, but I, I've lost a lot over my life. So I have a bit of a story to tell you about how that all happened. But I'm in um, uh, subsidized housing in downtown Toronto. And I want to tell you, tell you and the listeners just how important that is for people like myself and others. I asked Susan to tell us a little bit about how she got to that social housing. Well, I left home, a small town, a military base in Trenton, Ontario, um, a long time. When I go back 50 years ago, who thought I could say that? Because as a child, I never thought I'd live past 30 years of age. Just had no dreams, no expectations. Uh, things were very difficult for me. I lived in a very um, toxic household, left home as a teenager, came to the big city lights and uh, uh, really enjoyed it. But um, I developed a substance um, um uh, chronic substance use and alcohol use. And that went on for about 25 years. I eventually ended up on the streets of Toronto, um, just like a lot of the people we see in the news clips around uh, opioids and other things. And, you know, I had thought that's how my life would end. But uh, about 30 years ago, I realized I had a problem, and but I didn't know how to get out of it. And, um, and uh, just a little emotional, I hadn't expected to talk about but you know I've got to be my true authentic self here so um but uh it was a really difficult realization but eventually I got into some treatment and then I tried the abstinence journey um when I uh left that situation and it turned out really well and what happened after six months or a year um of being um trying to figure out who I was and how to keep the conditions I had some housing um, uh, that was before rents went through the roof, but, uh, I always thought like, once I put that behind me, my life would, you know, I'd be like everyone else. Turns out I had this hope ever since my youngest, uh, since grade eight, since, well, eight years old, um, ever since a child, these reoccurring themes that I'd always wanted to live as a woman. And so I ended up changing my name to Susan and living as a woman. Oh boy. Uh. 1999-2000. I did that while working at City Hall in Toronto. So uh, that was uh, quite an eye-opening experience for a lot of other people in the public realm, but also for myself as well as I went through that journey. But things have turned out well. Here we are 25 years later. In the last episode, I told you that I had a trans kid and also that I dealt with poverty and the housing precarity that comes along with that. But I didn't really talk about living on the streets or my time using drugs. When Susan talks about her feelings of hopelessness and the chances of her survival past 30, it really hits home and it's hard not to feel connected to it. We talk about that for a minute. Who knew? Who knew there was hope? But you see, hope wasn't something I had as a youngster. I, I knew a lot of fear, I, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and I tried to hide from it. But, uh, you know, and uh, thank you for sharing that uh, you had a similar experience because it can be so self-isolating when you're going through that. And it can be really dark, dark clouds, dark shadows. And so, um, yeah, here we are. So back to Susan's story. Just before we dive back in, a note that this story is quite gripping, so I'm not going to be interrupting again, although you will hear me on tape at one point asking Susan if she wants to take a break. 
I've got two pieces of mind thinking about renting in an urban, expensive uh, downtown region like Toronto here. Um, and I'm thinking just how hard it must be for so many people with the exorbitant rents and in now rampant inflation um, coming out of the pandemic. And it just seems like what my mama told me <laughs> so 60 years ago, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer was such a, I wish I would have listened to my, some of the things they said back then, but it was a pretty rebellious one, um, angry and rebellious. Um, but I tried to get rent when I came out, I came out as a trans woman uh, and uh, I had a hard time finding places to rent, even at market rent. There were shared accommodations, um, finding most of my uh, um, disability. Um, I was on disability for the whole time it existed in Ontario. I became a political activist for two reasons um, that um, they were changing the social assistance regime in Ontario in around uh, in the late 90s, a conservative government. And uh, I wanted to advocate so that I could continue to get um, some subsidies or be on the system so I could get an education, become, you know, a more more involved in society. And so um, apparently I was pretty good at it because I started doing, being invited to a lot of different organizations and that to talk about my story. And uh, then there was the other thing of just trying to be a student getting housing. So um, I had several incidences of having to file human rights claims. Um, I learned how to do that really, really well. Um, at the university, York University, I spent most of my time writing complaints about incidences of harassment, discrimination in the university sector. And I got so good at it, I became a trans activist. Um, and getting access to healthcare as well was a big issue for me. So I became an activist, and maybe it was always inside of me. But a lot of work on trans issues. I have the good fortune to have drafted the Ontario Human Rights Code legislation that, that was adopted in 2012 um, that protects uh, gender identity and gender expression. And actually drafting the federal legislation, which I'm very proud of, um, that took 13 years to um, be adopted and was adopted in, um, I believe, about six years ago, coming up to six years ago at the federal government. So, um, that was really important to me, but like I could have in another world, I could have like had a career in law, perhaps, but I ended up being an activist. But, you know, maintaining housing all that time while I'm fighting these battles, these struggles, building consensus, public consensus and, uh, you know, getting more because it was not. I mean, when we started doing this work, it was like if we get three to five people together for a rally or protest. Um, that was remarkable. And so I remember we did a protest once ending it up at Toronto City Hall because it was more accessible when actually the government at Queen's Park was the one we should have been talking to. So a lot of lessons learned, but um, having housing during that time was really a challenge. And uh, none of my human rights complaints went through, but um, I did learn the process pretty well. And uh, during university days, I went to uh, college, got a diploma in community work at George Brown College, ended up going to York University and studied public policy and administration. And I feel that really helped me learn how to write public policy and do things. 
Um, but all the time I'm like living in sort of, um, you know, um, less than um, desirable housing. So I ended up moving to um, downtown Toronto um, because I wanted to run in a municipal election. <laughs> and I fairly believe it's important you be part of the neighborhood. And we do have a an LGBTQ village here in downtown Toronto. So I moved down here and it was shared room with uh, another person. And uh, we didn't get along very well, but I didn't have the, the money, the funds, the resources to uh, to get my own apartment because it was just too cost, cost prohibitive. And uh, there was an incident where uh, he called the police and um, it's a bit traumatizing. I'm just going to take a deep breath. Should have had a glass of water with me here. But um, but uh, one day we had a quarrel and he called the police and said I assaulted him. And uh, I was uh, removed from my apartment. And I was downstairs here. And that was really traumatic. After all this work, education, meeting what I thought was a pretty um, um, community-based, a social engaged life. And then this happened and it was a horrible, horrible experience. Um, I still uh, a little bit, don't know how much to say about it, but you know, uh, Susan, can I, woman, yes. did you want to grab a glass of water? Like we can stop here and pick it up again. Yeah. Well, I've got coffee there, but I'll do it after this part. Um, okay. I just feel like this might be important for people to know that, um, I was taken away and removed from my apartment um, without consent. Um, and I thought I'd just get to the police station. I explained what happened. We just had like a roommate argument and, uh, um, and uh, it got turned into this thing where um, the only way I could be released from, um, from detention, uh, they lost my paperwork. It was a day in hell actually. Oh, and um and this happened in 2009 and I was running for, I was, I was becoming a candidate for election. So this is playing mind games with me. And uh, so I had to agree to um, not going to my apartment, losing my apartment, not having contact with my roommate to be released on bail. And uh, the other option was to go um, to, to the jail and wait for a bail hearing. So it was a really, really, really bad experience that still is making my heart feel heavy right now. And, you know, if I had been able to get into affordable housing at the time, maybe this wouldn't have happened, but it was a really, really important lesson for me is like now, um, uh, luckily I had turned my life around and had a lot of supports in place and, uh, taking a deep breath, <laughs> uh, getting through it. Um, um, well, one thing that was different now that I had a lot of supports in my life, so people were helping me out, but it was still a really bad experience. And I ended up getting moved into um, housing um, um, in another building. And several years later, I was able to return to this building. But somehow how I had managed it, I had made good relationships with the people in Toronto Community Housing. But it was during that time that our mayor of Toronto, the never forgetful Rob Ford, um, tried to sell off Toronto Community Housing as a, a lot of the single family units and um, as a real estate development deal, it seems to be the way his brother carries on nowadays with so many issues. Um, but these were people's lives. 
They tried to sell our building, the building I was in. It's like my life. And I'm like, after all these years of all these hardships, I have a place to live and it's not great and it's not perfect. And, you know, we don't have the best security, but like a place to call home. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. So uh, we organized, we organized, and we organized along with some friendly counselors at City Hall. We were able to uh, save people from being evicted from those homes. So I feel very, very proud of that. You know, sometimes like this trans legislation is like being the first out trans girl who, uh, you know, known as the uh, getting that sex chain surgery in Ontario on that. There's a lot of stigma with that. People are much more public about that stuff nowadays. But something about housing and housing for vulnerable groups and disadvantaged groups, uh, trans people and gender diverse people and people from all the intersections of race and inequality and indigene and uh, disability, that's something that everyone needs. So I'm very, very proud to share that story with you. We managed to stop them from doing that. But, you know, the fight's not over. But uh, out of that, um, after we were successful in that, um, there was, I guess, the CEO came to me and said, Susan, we're going to look after you. And I didn't know what that meant. Because like that could have been either really a really good thing that could be a really, really bad thing because his job was to sell off the housing. He was appointed by uh, by some a lot of politics and social housing, um, very political. And you know, we're talking about people's lives, people. You know, bricks and mortar. We're more than bricks and mortar. We're we're the we're, we're we all deserve a decent place to live. And uh, turns out, I um, was moved. Um, to uh, eventually they moved me to the apartment I'm in now and I've been here for a good grief almost 10 years but on a rent geared to income uh, subsidy and um, I'm very happy I hope to stay here uh, I'm very happy you know in the grand scheme of things people will say well would you like some of this or some of that you know there was a dream I had getting that job and you know getting elected and you know buying a condo or a home and uh, having a pool and all that. But you know, right now, what I have is enough. I have enough. I have a place to live. I have a cat who is not jumping on me right now, but as uh, the minute this conversation is over, is going to come and say, hey, what's up? You haven't fed me in half an hour. And, uh, you know, I've got a, you know, I've got enough of the comforts at home um, to be very, very pleased after my very, very difficult life journey. And I think everyone should have the same opportunities that I have here today. I asked Susan what her hope is for the future of housing. When I think of everything I've been through and what the world's been through, today's struggle seems so small, but it's easy for me to say from um, in, in my place here in privilege of having a place to live, uh, um, people are still, uh, you know, still sleeping in our parks and being um, encampments from street corners are being um, I know out in Vancouver they had still happening. I live um, right near the shelter here, um, the largest shelter, and people are camped out um, all around here. And so people are really struggling. It's hard to see, but I think everyone deserves a decent place to live. Um, and the rents have been going up like a commodity that most people can't afford much at shared accommodation. But as a trans woman, 
or gender diverse person, having my own self-contained unit um, is really, really important. I think it would work. That would be my recommendation. If I had the year of the prime minister, you must ensure that everyone has their own self-contained unit. Um, sometimes neighbors can be a little bit, I was going to say wacky. I don't know if that's a good word or not. I had a neighbor here. There's a lot of stuff. They were having all night parties for a while. But you know, you got to be able to close that door behind you. And you know, one thing I do is um, I don't really have a lot of people over. I think because that's been some of my weaknesses have occurred um, by the influence, the negative influences of some people around me. So I find that this is my my palace. <laughs> um, and uh, but I think like if something doesn't get done around here, I don't clean the dishes. Well, I do do the dishes. You know, and my cat does something like it's sick on the carpet. What can I do? Be mad at him for like 30 seconds. He has no control over that. But, you know, anything that goes wrong in here mostly is my responsibility. So I pay my rent every month. And I just think that for people to have a chance in life, you've got to have that basic unit of housing. And I know, uh, I know there's a lot of housing dollars out there now, and we've made it a political priority, but against the competition of big business and development, I always want to be on the side of the, the people who don't have, because, just because that's what I do. Um, I want to be there for the people who don't uh, have um, housing, but, um, it's obviously not fast enough, and I think some people have short memories. Uh, the National Housing Program was cut about 30 years ago. Provincially, it's been downloaded, and we see those consequences, right? It must be a political priority, and we can't keep electing people who say one thing at election time and turn around and do something different afterwards. I think that's uh, short memories because... Uh, got some thoughts on some of the public policies, but uh, I mean, it's not fast enough. People are dying on our streets, so we need to get it together. Income security, um, health and wellness, uh, housing, social inclusion, and we kind of need some better landlords too, <laughs> better landlords, because uh, land is a commodity and development's a commodity, and so uh, um, just want to tell everyone out there who's uh, struggling, who's having a hard time with housing, you are valued, you are important, and you deserve a decent place to live. Uh, we're going to work to the end of the earth to make sure that happens. The last word goes to Aaron Monroe. Um, I'm really heartened by um, the progression I've seen in the last 20 years of, of women's organizations, not tolerating trans women, but seeing women as women. Um, and I really hope that that continues and that there continues to be a push um, in that area that also recognizes that um, trans women also have some unique needs, for instance, having to recover from surgery and, and trying to find ways to, to appropriately respond to that um, is, is really important. Um, what I would love to see, though, because I do hear the stories from people who go into access women's um, housing or outreach or sex work services or whatever, whatever the programs are. I do hear the stories from women um, who've accessed that and haven't been treated well, sometimes by staff, a lot of times by other program participants. Um, and I think we need to get 
better at how we respond and not letting the small stuff go. Um, realizing that each of those, those uh, what could be seen as a slight can be incredibly painful and set somebody back on their journey for a long time. It's not uncommon for trans people to end up with complex trauma. Um, and I believe that we should meet them in a space that if they are in a shelter and they are a trans woman, they likely have complex trauma and have to be treated you know, as somebody who's had a very complicated life um, and, and has to be respected and dignified in every interaction we have with them. So I really would love uh, women's organizations to continue doing this, this really important work and training their staff to, to know how to respond to transphobia in the moment and to shut it down. That's it for this week's episode of She, They, Us. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week, we will be looking at the intersection between gender-based violence and housing crisis for women and gender-diverse people and their families. I hope you'll join us. This is She, They, Us, a podcast about making room in housing for women and gender-diverse people. To find out more about the She, They, Us campaign, you can visit the Pan-Canadian Voice for Women's Housing webpage where you'll also find resources from this episode and can add your voice to the army of women and gender diverse people fighting to make room in housing.